You are listening to Always Be Watching. It's the podcast that isn't afraid to bring Mjolnir into the conversation with far more confidence than you'd imagine. My name is Dan Barrett. I'm joined here by Chris Yates. Hi, Dan. I already don't know what's going on. Well, it's good that we have a special guest this week, Chris. It's very good. We've got Maria Lewis, who knows what a Mjolnir is and will tell me how to pronounce it properly. Mjolnir. Mjolnir. Obviously. If you'd seen <laughs> Thor The Dark World, the cinematic classic, you would know it's pronounced Meow Meow. <laughs> what? <laughs> that is literally, that's a line from the movie. Come Sorry. on, I, be- I believe your Marvel knowledge to be deeper than surface level here. I paid my money to see that movie, but I don't think I was awake for the entire thing. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm low-key ride or die for Thor The Dark World. I like really? it a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's my favorite of the Thor movies. Okay. Well, fortuitously, <laughs> we're going to be talking about some Marvel cinematic uh, business this week. I wonder what that could possibly be. Yeah. What could it be? <laughs> Games that end? Hmm. So primarily, we talk about TV shows on this podcast. Reason for that, myself and Chris primarily just watch TV. Yes. Okay. We've got a 15-year friendship, and pretty much the only thing we've ever discussed begins with one simple phrase, what have you been watching? I did actually... I am interested in your dogs. We talk about yeah. your dogs a bit. A little bit. <laughs> but it's a secondary, if not third concern. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm. There's a big movie out this week. Yes. And when there's a big movie out, our conversations often go with, have you seen this movie? And Chris will say no. I always say, no, I haven't, (laughs) and I never will. But I'm desperate to talk about these movies, and this week we've got a big movie. So I thought, who knows better about big movies than Maria Lewis? Why, thank you. What an (laughs) honour. But no, you know your shit when it comes to the superhero business. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously an audio medium, so you can't see me, but I'm someone who has Marvel and DC characters tattooed on my body. Like, I wear my pop culture loves uh, on my sleeve, quite literally. Now, how hardcore do you stand for the Marvel films? Because we should, we should put our t- cards on the table yes, here. Yes, I agree. This is good. Yeah. I'm pretty hardcore. For the past 11 years, let's say, pretty mm. hardcore. I mean, Captain America First Avenger is still my favourite Marvel movie, and I think it's Loki very underrated. Loki? Because uh. um, oh, of Loki. Uh, yeah, 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 we get it. He's not in that movie, but whatever. Um, <laughs> Red, Red Skull underrated doesn't really quite have the same ring to it. I think the movies are great, and it was, it was as something who, as anyone who is a comic book nerd or comic book fan understands, the opportunity to see really great adaptations of comic book characters and the style of comic book storytelling where it's like it's not just like one and done it's a continuing story it's a shared universe across multiple films that was really exciting for us because it hadn't really been done successfully before I mean I think probably the X-Men movies and Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies would be the other kind of only examples of that but I wasn't a massive fan of both of those and I think any comic book fan can pick holes in things that they didn't like or things that were not faithful to the comic book but these movies MCU really started I think um, that idea of comic book storytelling but in a film forum. What I think is worthwhile talking about with the Avengers movie, and this is kind of what I wanted, well, why I wanted to talk about it this week, is that this is the accomplishment of something which has never been achieved before. This is 22 movies. Oh, I think it's more than that, actually. 23, 24. Somewhere about there. Yeah. 20, sure. 20 plus Whatever. movies. <laughs> okay, set in this universe. Years, Much like the comics, the continuity of it is mostly there, but there's mm-hmm. a few hinky parts mm-hmm. along the way. I like that it's a little bit messy. Yeah. Yeah, and I like I mean, that it's not a largely orchestrated thing where you... If you watch this final movie, it feels like the culmination of this 20-ish uh, series movies. But at the same time, it also kind of feels like they've kind of cobbled it together at the last minute as well. It's sort of supposed to be a greatest hits album, yeah. I think. I don't know if, if you guys feel the same way, but me, I, look, 
I'm just going to say this now, Avengers Endgame, I wasn't the biggest fan of the movie. <gasps> I know. Which was a massive surprise to me because I have never not been a fan of a Marvel movie before. Even Incredible Hulk, when I having to look at Ed Norton for two hours, I was still like, yeah, okay, this is actually pretty great. But this was the first Marvel movie I saw where I was like, I actively didn't like that. And I went into the movie, I have this kind of policy with pretty much any superhero movie or any blockbuster where I won't watch, I, I, don't, I work for myself, so I'm not in a position where I have to push out content in a newsroom setting anymore, but I will not watch trailers at all mm. because these movies cost so much money and the sort of mechanism of tentpole cinema now is for you to get that money back, you really have to tell people everything that's in the movie in order for it to be worth it, yeah, right? Sure. So, so much gets shown in the trailers and so that's kind of been my thing going forward is you can't trust the studios or the producers or whoever to not tell you everything because they want to tell you everything so they can get lots and lots of butts and seats multiple times and make back a hundred million dollar budget so i went into endgame having not seen a single trailer having not even seen a frame all i'd seen was the poster and um, i did that with infinity war as well and that was like really like amazing and surprising and and so thrilling but with this um I felt like each Marvel film over the past 11 years has been a progression of sorts to the point now where we're at this new stage where we're starting to see, you know, the first solo film with Captain Marvel, you know, Black Panther doing the business that it did and becoming an Oscar winning phenomenon. Like that's incredible. We're really like each movie actively set out to push the boundaries of what had been done before and it got to end game. And for me, I think my biggest overall criticism no spoilers is that it felt like it was stuck in the mud for me it felt like a greatest hits and i keep hearing over and over again the russo brothers and other people talk about how this movie couldn't be how couldn't have been one minute shorter they're like it had to be <laughs> yeah, it had to be three one. hours there was like there's no <laughs> way we can make this shorter and i was watching this and i was like are you for real <laughs> like i wanted to hand in a bunch of notes and be like you could have trimmed this shit down like all due respect See, I agree with that entirely. So the film goes for three hours and two minutes or something mm. like that. It is. And like you always have to factor in probably like the last eight-ish minutes of credits. Yeah. That's just credits. You know, that's not actual movie time. That's for the, you know, thousands of people who worked on this from drivers and caterers to people who worked in post-production to digital effects. Yeah. And so you've got this very long movie and ordinarily I'd argue it was too long because it was mm-hmm. by at least half an hour. Okay. Like it was punishingly long. But also, I feel for a movie which is so indulgent in what it's trying to do, which is be a greatest hits, it is trying to really say, look, you've been with us for the 22-odd movies. This is really the combination of everything that you love. Let's be as navel-gazing and indulgent as possible. Why not go three hours? Like, this is kind of what the audience were there for. I was sitting in this audience of people who were hardcore into it. They were going absolutely nuts with every character that came on screen. They knew their business. And they were eating it up. And I thought, you know what, it's not really quite working for me, but for the real hardcore fans who I feel this movie's for, like, it seems to be working. Sure, but at the same time, there's these there's key characters in this movie, and I'm super conscious of the fact of trying not to spoil anything, because yeah. there's nothing worse than getting spoilers. And you don't know when people are going to see it, and Australia did get it a day before the rest of the world, but... There are several I, I think for this conversation, we can probably have some mild spoilers without going too far into... Okay, so there's several characters, yeah. let's say five or six, who get multiple big, huge moments. I'm talking long <laughs> scenes 
of yeah. dialogue, but also action beats. Thor is one of them. Obviously, it's all mainly like a, a lot of the original Avengers, but also characters like Nebula get a lot of scenes, right? But then there's characters that, you know, we're supposed to be sort of passing the baton to or whatever, who barely get a moment. Like Bucky Barnes was one of them. Black Panther was one of them. Shuri, Letitia Wright doesn't even get a single line of dialogue. And even though she was only in Infinity War for two scenes, both of those scenes were really valuable and really important. And I just felt like, you know, this is a three-hour movie, right? They have all they have this massive cast of characters. I get it. But in three hours, you can't, like, sort of spread some of those moments out between people. The weird thing is that not only is it really about character weight, but also I love Paul Rudd. But in the greater scheme of things, he got a lot more screen time than was probably necessarily warranted for his. Well, see, here's maybe where it's time for me to pitch in. See, like, I'm very much a casual. Marvel Marvel movie how, watcher. How many had you seen? Uh, I, well, I read that you posted the Vulture article that had the list of like the sixteen you need to watch or something like that. And <laughs> I love I, that it had to have to break it down to sixteen. Like, there's only another four or know, six. Yeah. Just keep going. Well, but that's well. Interestingly, yeah, I reckon I'd watched about four from that list, so I hadn't seen heaps. I hadn't seen many of the um, actual Avengers movies, but what I, the ones I tend to watch are more the kind of the quirky. So, like, I was a big fan of Ant Man. Yeah, um, I love the Ant Man movies and, as well. Yeah, I thought they were fantastic. I really liked um, Black Panther um, a lot more the second time I watched it than the I first could, time. I saw it with you, didn't I? Yeah, and, yeah. and I wasn't thrilled the first time I watched it, but the second time I like watched it a bit more casually and sort of taking it. A little bit. I guess knowing where it was going, I seemed to enjoy it a lot more. And then um, I really enjoyed Captain Marvel, which I don't even know if I've talked to you about yet. No, not yet. Because um, you saw time, it after we discussed yeah, it. Yes, so that's right. Yeah. I, last time we did one of these podcasts, I hadn't watched the Marvel film. And I felt like the kid <laughs> at school that didn't watch the thing that everyone was talking about. So I was adamant I was going to watch this one. Um, but yes, I, you know, I actually found it really enjoyable. I really, um, much more so than I thought. I went with a friend who's a comic book Nut, who you know, this is like the culmination of his whole life. He's, he explained it as um, ten. You know, he didn't realize he'd been waiting his whole life to see this thing. That now he's seen it, and he, he can kind of feel at peace with his dedication to the to the Marvel franchise over all these years. Um, but yeah, like, and I mean, Paul Rudd for me is one of the things that made it really funny, really watchable. I guess the humor and the brevity of it, um, of those kind of characters, really carried it for me, and really. You know, filled in those gaps that maybe I didn't know. Like, obviously, there's a whole bunch of background that I was kind of missing a little bit of, but I don't think it actually mattered that much in the big scheme of how to enjoy it. And I guess that's why maybe it's translating, maybe why it's, you know, reviewing so well with the kind of general public and why all of these people are, you know, why there's so many people at the cinema. I mean, we were talking about this before, right? About how it's difficult to share a response online that's not positive because I've held my opinions online. I don't necessarily want to talk about the specifics of why I don't like the movie because that's a massive spoiler for people and I feel like everyone deserves the chance to try and get in and see what will be one of the biggest cinematic events of you know our lifetime without having anything being spoiled for them. So most of the response online that we've seen has been the people calling it a masterpiece or calling it you know the height of blockbuster cinema or the pinnacle of you know whatever. And it's none of those things. I mean, to them it might be. You know, art is subjective, right? What something that I love mightn't be something that somebody else loves. And it, art is also informed by your experience. You know, I think one of the big reasons um, superhero movies now are making so much money, but I mean, specifically the Marvel movies, is because 
minorities and groups of people have never seen themselves represented before are finally getting to see themselves represented before. I mean, there's a bunch of female superheroes in the Marvel Universe now, whereas there was none to begin with, except for Black Widow. She was the only superhero we had to start out with, and she was the only one that had been done well because we'd had a terrible Catwoman movie and we'd had a terrible <laughs> yeah, Electra movie. Sure. And so you cling to those things, but I think... I think the general perception right now is that people love this movie and I'm sure a lot of, I'm sure millions, maybe billions of people do, but I think a lot of the people who have discerning opinions or something different to say are holding that back because they're conscious of the fact that a lot of people haven't had a chance to see it yet. And my biggest issue with the movie is something that I literally can't talk about because it's a huge spoiler for the movie. But after I saw the movie and I thought consciously about this one specific big plot point, I was like, you know what, actually, I think I'm done. I don't think I continue with Marvel movies from here. And for me to say that, like, that's a massive deal. I can totally understand that too. Like, I don't, you know, not having any kind of real level of investment in it as a Mm -hmm. thing definitely made it a lot easier for me to just kind of go with it and ride with the with the jokes in, in a lot of ways I was just relieved that I was able to sort of get through it all without yeah. you know like and, and feel like I really um, that, I, that I didn't feel like I had to run out of the cinema which I have felt like that at some of these other films now I feel I know what moment you're talking about that may have <laughs> you yes. really want to talk about it don't well, you Dan I kind of just want to maybe give an indication to people listening who've seen it as to what it was that maybe switched you off can you mention maybe a character name no <laughs> I can't. I'm sorry, I can't because like it, it's gonna spoil. It's gonna spoil it for people. You can't mention the. Char- I can't mention the character name. I think there's pe- like there's been a lot of foreshadowing going into this movie about original Avengers who are going to be killed off. The yeah. end of a chapter. This is what people have been saying. This is how Disney and Marvel and the Russo brothers and everyone have been positioning these movies. These are the end of the chapter. Now we know who started at the beginning of those chapters. And so there's people that you expect to be like tapping out of this particular moment in the universe. And they've communicated that clearly throughout the last, say, like five or six Marvel films. And there's some where it came as a complete surprise and kind of felt like it shat on my heart quite <laughs> quite okay. like you know so it's exactly the scene honestly. i thought it was yeah, yeah. yeah i mean and, and honestly like i think it's a scene having spoken to a lot of other particular types of marvel fans shall we say who saw the movie and were as angry and upset as i was like i i went and saw it with um with my husband and my flatmate and when we left like we're you know we're in the car and they're like oh so what did you think you know they were both like frothing it and i like <laughs> went to speak and my voice did the little <laughs> that little wave I was about to cry and I was like you know what I can't talk about it right now I'm just going to drive you two goes home and then I'm going to just like collect my thoughts and then I'm going to have you know a huge freaking 8,000 word rant and yeah and it, it's frustrating because the thing the particular thing feels emblematic of a larger issue within the genre and within the medium that I honestly thought we had passed and I don't think that's necessary I mean that's obviously not necessarily the case yeah, now, sorry, Chris. I was just going to say I look forward to eventually when you get to um, express your thoughts about Wait, this. When this podcast is done, <laughs> strap yourselves in, guys. And, and I think we're, gonna, we're in for a lot of that in the press and stuff as well. There's going to be a lot of people um, that have uh, interesting takes on elements of it once we've had a bit of time yeah. for, the, for it to bubble away. Because, and- I, I mean, there's, there's stuff in it that I've seen a few, like, sort of, don't read past this. This is a spoiler article. And they've honestly, even the, the spoil inverted commas, spoiler articles have been about minor details, not huge details. So I don't know. I'm really curious to see, like I haven't seen people being as decent, widely spread in a really long time. So I'm really curious as to when, 
when when is that okay is that time okay? to openly yeah. talk about? It's sort of like get out and ask in a way, you know, like what's the barometer of when it's okay to talk about things? Yes. I mean, I kind of feel that if you are super sensitive about spoilers on something, so Us is probably a very good example. Mm-hmm. This is a film that came out, what, five weeks ago mm-hmm. in Australia? Mm-hmm. It came out literally like... I haven't days. seen it, Dan. No, no, Don't spoil it for me. It came no, out literally it. like a day after I left the country. Yeah. And the country I went to didn't have that movie playing. So I have been biding my time until literally tomorrow morning mm-hmm. when I'm going to see that movie as one of the last two sessions that it's actually playing anywhere yeah. in town. But I've been trying to avoid spoilers. But also, I kind of feel that if I had it spoiled for me, it's kind of on me because I wasn't able to get to it that long. And there's been a certain period of time <laughs> the, where I think something needs to end. Well, I understand that that won't make you less mad about it, I'm but like, it still will wreck it for you. But it'll wreck it for me. But I also only feel been out for a few days. I, that's that's totally it. But I'm like a month, maybe. I feel there's a certain amount of time that something needs to be allowed to live just in the cultural consciousness. So after. I'm thinking with Avengers, like literally maybe like two weeks. It's going to be two a weeks. global release it. everywhere. Two weeks, that's what he's saying. You've got enough time. Guys, like if, if you've you got... see a spoiler within the two week to a month, <laughs> I've said a month, he said two weeks. If you see it get spoiled in that two week bracket, you can just. You can be angry. You send your hate mail. Look, to I'm that. fine no, with it. I think it. two weeks is perfectly uh, reasonable. If you care Shut so much about something, <laughs> you can make the effort. And if there's extenuating circumstances, then sometimes life gets in the way. And also, it's just a movie. So I was writing in depth about uh, The Covenant, which I also like to refer to as Dick Witches, the movie. Because it <laughs> yeah. was basically like, let's do boy craft. What do boys love? Uh, I know, lots of shirtless scene with boys slapping each other in the butts. It's like a very... But that's what I enjoy. <laughs> yeah, yeah totally. of course. It's... Mm actually one of the great like bad movies it's so much fun and enjoyable and so i was <laughs> going on a sort of twitter thread like a deep dive into that movie and someone's let, someone jumped in not more than one person like spoilers and i was like this movie came out in 2006 bro. Yeah. <laughs> like come on like if we, if we can't you know acknowledge that maybe you've had more than a decade to watch it and you haven't got around to watching you know the taylor kitsch stephen Strait, <laughs> chance crawford classic <laughs> with sebastian stan reciting the entirety of little Miss Muffet is a villain monologue, then I don't know. I don't oh know. Maybe God. you don't deserve it. All right, to I'm writing that one down as well. Here we go. <laughs> so great. I'll give you a list. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'll just get on your mailing list. That'd be great. <laughs> now, one of the things I thought was fascinating watching Avengers Endgame was that this is part of the much larger Marvel corporate machine. There is intentions to do movies and TV shows with a whole bunch of these characters. Sure. Without saying too much, towards the end of the movie, there's a scene with characters standing around in groups. And effectively, it's like them as part of like their like families, mm. effectively. So it's like there are various franchise groups that are all standing within and there's no mixing of any of them. No. Okay. And it was kind of interesting to sort of look at that saying, oh, this is where they're seeing the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe going. And particularly, I was interested in the Disney Plus TV shows that are coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, Disney so, Plus? Sorry, Plus. <laughs> so stupid. Okay, whatever. It's yeah, just like it's spelled like plus. Just call it plus. But it was, Are we doing this GIF GIF thing again? Here we go. Yeah, it's GIF. <laughs> yeah. What I thought was fascinating was seeing. First of all, you've got, uh, and I've just forgotten all the TV shows. Well, all the TV shows. You've got one division coming up. You got one division coming so up. So Scarlet and Scarlet Witch and Vision. You've got which is apparently set in the 1950s. Well, they said 50s vibe. 50s vibe. 50s okay. vibe. Okay, which I think by what they mean by that is like an odd couple, sort of bewitched type 
situation. But well, like, I'm wondering if it's a bit more like the Vision comic book series, which is like a 1950s true. sort of era, yeah. Leave It's a Beaver sort of I mean, of a that's thing. an Eisner Award winning comic series. Yeah. Why wouldn't you use that source material? There's the Falcon and Winter Soldier series. Mm. Hawkeye is getting a series for which is... whatever reason. Like <laughs> Jeremy Renner's, sorry, Mo Hawkeye. Like he needs his own series, but whatever. And Well, Loki's my understanding with that series. is that's very much a passing of the torch series. To Kate Bishop. I yeah. mean, sure, sure, sure. Um, so, just, and so Loki gets I, a I feel we as went well. into nerd territory a bit too much there. No, no, no. It's, I'm, so I'm mostly up to. Speed. It's a young woman who takes over the Hawkeye yes. mantle. Yes. Yeah, based yeah. on the David Aja, um, Matt Fraction comic book series that was very popular and mm. basically entirely in the palette of sort of like white, blacks, and purples. Yeah, not like a cool with, comic series. Not like, a moment too soon for someone to take over that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's fascinating watching the Avengers movie, knowing that Renner's off to helm a TV series and that he's a guiding light within that show. <laughs> like he was a guiding light in the Bourne universe. Remember that? <laughs> uh, is that Bourne Legacy? Uh, I, yeah, I think it is yeah. Bourne Legacy. And then mm. they're like, mm, let's put him in Mission Impossible instead and see how that goes. And Tom Cruise was like, karate chop to the no. Bourne Legacy <laughs> Born Legacy, which had Edward Norton in it, ah. and I wondered and what Rachel Ed Norton. Weiss. Well, I was wondering about Ed Norton because I'm sure he's sitting back watching all these Avengers movies, raking in billions. And <laughs> like he I cares. wonder what his thoughts are. I don't like, think he cares. It would have been a decent cash cow for him, though. No, I don't think he cares. He's an, <laughs> he's an auteur, you know. Like nah. I think honestly, he would feel like I killed a piece of my soul being in something that people actually like. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, Keeping the Faith was an excellent movie. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of uh, references to movies that I haven't seen in it that ma- make me make me want to watch the movies. Back to the Future. <laughs> oh no, I mean, in, obviously, you know, the bits that I missed from the other Avengers movies oh, yeah. and some of the other Marvel movies, and there were bits that made me go like, "Oh, that's very interesting. I will maybe investigate that one what, day." On what a caught your attention? Well, I was really I haven't seen Thor Ragnarok yet. How would you yeah. say that? Ragnarok. Uh, Ragnarok. Sorry. Um, and obviously, I really wanted to. I just sort of didn't get yeah. around to it. You, you dig that one? Yeah, I dig that. And and so that was a nice little you know so the little characters out of that were a nice little surprise to get in there and it gave me something to go oh that's right i didn't see that um it was just you know it was just drawing on so much stuff i couldn't help thinking that um you know in a way that they they had really painted themselves into a corner with this film right like you kind of it was there was such a everything sort of funneled into this thing and they were like dropping in bits from all these other movies and stuff i felt like its best success was that it didn't totally suck if that makes sense. Like, I felt like they pulled it off in a way that they made a sort of a satisfying film um, that had an ending that felt a bit like an ending. Um, despite, I know, you know, despite that there were definitely things along the way that were really um, not... Um, I'm trying not to. Uh, I'm trying not to talk about the spoiler bit that you were trying to talk about. Mm. But anyway, I feel like in the grand scheme, I'm of things, desperate to talk about I know, that scene. But in the grand <laughs> scheme of things, I felt like its biggest success was that it actually kind of felt like a movie, and that they didn't um, just rely on. Like it, it wasn't as I, I imagine the whole thing would be one big action sequence, basically. And I was surprised that it wasn't that. Yeah. No, I mean, I tend to agree. <laughs> I wanted, well, I went into the movie because I've been 50-50 on most of these Marvel films. Some of them I think are really quite clever and they're doing interesting things. And then there's others which feel like they've just gone through like a uh, Marvel-O-Matic. It's just when it gets into those heavy action sequences where there's sort of, you know, that's where I really kind of get distracted. And yeah, when the Marvel second unit team come in yeah, and direct yeah. half of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, I start to tune out. Mm. Yeah, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 wasn't, isn't 
what I would consider one of the great Marvel movies. That would be in sort of like my bottom tier of I Marvel enjo- films that I didn't like so much. I tried watching it a second time just to see if I missed something because I enjoyed the first one so much. No, first I one's great. Like, yeah. First one's amazing. Just, see, I think know. the first one's got a great first half hour and mm. then after that it just kind of loses itself. And it's, well, it's okay to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Rocket. I was so glad to see Rocket have yeah. a nice big character in there. That, Wonderful and it was, voice it was acting those, like, by Bradley Cooper. So good. And it was those... It actually is good voice acting. Yes, very, very it's good. it's not like... Detective Pikachu bullshit, where it's yeah. like, oh, it's just Ryan one of the voices Pikachu. Like when I heard they were doing Bradley Cooper was going to be doing Rocket Raccoon and Vin Diesel was going to be doing Groot, I was like, oh gosh, okay, here we go. And you forget that it's him doing the acting. Like Absolutely, it's a, yeah. it's an actual voice performance as opposed to a celebrity voice reading some lines. Mm. Yeah, because I was thinking about it the other night. I was watching Yes Man, mm. the classic Jim Carrey film. Yeah, I actually like, don't mind that movie. Uh, which has Bradley, additional. <laughs> uh, well, Bradley Cooper's in a fairly small role in the film. Yeah. And I was watching him and I started thinking about his role as a rocker. I was listening to his voice yeah. and like none of his usual like timber as rocker is featured within it's his incredible. actual voice. It's an incredible performance. I'm yeah. Probably one of my favourite Bradley Cooper performances, <laughs> to be honest. Maybe up there with Alias, but anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, those the, the sort of characters that carried the m- most of the film and are, are all obviously on the poster, I thought were interesting choices in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, we should probably move on to some other shows. I guess we yeah, should. Let's I'd, do it. I would be happy to keep listening um, to more and more of this. But yes, let's do as, it. As we talk about a movie that we can't really talk about. Yeah, true. Yeah. But I think we've got a, we've got enough across there, I think. <laughs> so, okay, maybe just as we wind this up, Chris, you're coming from the perspective of someone of whom doesn't care much about the Marvel films. No, as a casual film goer, and, and I say that, but, you know, I have gone and seen quite a few in the last... I don't go to see lots of movies anyway, but so, you know, you want to go to the movies and see a blockbuster and stuff like that or something with a lot of action. So I have been to see quite a few. Um, as a casual viewer, yes, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Maria? As a diehard fan, I really, really did not. Mm. I didn't hate it. I just didn't like I it. I think that itself, that in itself probably s- says a lot about it, about yeah, the film, right? Yeah, and to be honest, it's the first Marvel movie I've thought where I've, I've gone, mm, I don't know if I'll watch that again. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And, and and where are you? You're a sort of halfway. Oh, look, I was raised as a DC Comics kid. <laughs> and the, Oh, my God. That's a, that's a tough love cinematically <laughs> for you. Yeah, yeah. Cinematically. Um, okay, so here's one of the things that I sort of grapple with a little bit, which is that the DC films, by and large, have been maligned, and I think with fairly just reasons. Okay, sure. like they haven't been great movies, but I think that a lot of them are just maybe textually interesting, even if the sort of finished product isn't really worthwhile. So I look at these Marvel films, which are pure spectacle on the big screen, and then I look at the DC films, which never really quite achieve that level of spectacleness. Mm, it's also, I think, the issue with the DC movies is the a lot of the filmmakers that have been hired to bring yeah. those DC characters and properties to life in a DC film have had. Um, either no interest or uh, inherent misunderstanding of what it is that makes those characters who they are. Absolutely. So Zack Snyder, for all of his many problems as a director, I think that visually he's an interesting director to a certain degree. I would watch the film, I would watch the commercials, sorry, and the music clips he makes for the rest of his life. (laughs) Not a great storyteller. (laughs) Um, No, but like... He didn't really get Superman. I think it's a very interesting visually Emo looking Superman. film. I mean, that was his yeah. whole thing was like, no Superman of mine is ever going to be wearing the underpants. That was like a quote of his. And I'm like, mm. it's I'm- not about whether he wears underman- like, <laughs> underpants on the outside of his pants. Like, it's not about like trying to make Superman like realistic and gritty. Like, what are the core values of that character and why have people connected with that character for 85 years? Those yes. are the things you need to be asking yourself as you're going into making 
that property. It's ironically something the DC film universe hasn't been able to do, but DC on television has absolutely nailed. They just get it. And largely a big part of that is because a lot of the people making those shows are the same people who either wrote the comic books or came from comic book world. They're not trying to change comic book characters to make them like cooler or like grittier or more palatable for a mainstream audience they know that audience is there these are the characters that you love here's a representation of them and that's the interesting thing about dc because a lot of the characters are fairly iconic in nature so you'd expect that that would lend itself well towards the large screen whereas it actually works better on tv where it's trying to work against that iconicness a bit because what actually makes the dc characters work isn't so much them putting on a spandex as much as the world's built around the characters so superman works as a character because of the Daily Planner and Lois and Jimmy and Perry White. Whereas the Zack Snyder films don't really feature any of those characters in yeah, a meaningful right. way. Yeah. Uh, poor Lois Lane. Lois <laughs> 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 Lane in the Zack Snyder movies, her sole role is that she gets to fall from great heights screaming backwards yeah, yeah. Yeah. for the duration of that. And Lois Lane, like through all of the versions of Superman on screen, including the animated shorts that used to play before movies in the 1940s. Yeah, the Flasher films. Yeah, she would like have him be wielding a machine gun and like be taking on baddies. Or like yeah. there's a bit when there's a terrorist threatening, threatening to destroy Metropolis. So she's like, I'm going to get on a plane and ask him why. Okay, she gets kidnapped. But the point is, she was a character with agency and drive, not someone who needed to be rescued all the time. That's kind of the exact opposite of what Lois Lane was supposed to be. Lois Lane is ultimately the greatest comic book character ever. She's supposed to be a character that actual legitimate superheroes and aliens fear because of her mind. I mean, she's someone that Oracle, Barbara Gordon and Batgirl... Fear, because she's so smart. She's someone that Bruce Wayne is like, yeah, I gotta team up with her. She's like crafty and knows some shit. But she's also the woman who the greatest man on earth is able to fall in love with because she's so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's the greatest <laughs> person on earth and he's so like a fallen... <laughs> anyway, technicalities. <laughs> Technicality, yeah, totally. Mm. Anyway, I'm sure I was heading somewhere with all of that. Ultimately, I think I just want to say, Marvel films, not hugely into them. I kind of like this one. I think it's bloated and completely out of control. I think there's a few issues that Maria can't talk about, mm-hmm. but I think I tend to agree with what she's coming to as an issue with them. I mean, I had heaps of issues. If I, if, you know, if I was going to be like really, if it was really going to yeah. pull it apart, there's a lot to pull apart with it. But, but yeah, you know. I don't feel I'm so emotionally invested that it's no, a exactly. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Mm. Moving on. Chris, we're going to do our TV show conversations in a couple of minutes each, I think. Sure. Might be the way to do this one. Uh, do you want to kick us off? What have you been watching this week? Well, I haven't been watching a lot of TV I was actually going to talk about. but um, So we don't always talk about new stuff. Yeah. Um, and it took me a little while to catch up on this. And we hadn't talked about it yet, so I just wanted to do it. We'll, we'll be quick, but I think it'll be a nice contrast to you. But I finally watched Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, <laughs> love it. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, so I watched it with my son, who was four years old, um, mm. probably a little young, um, but he uh, very much enjoyed it. We both very much enjoyed it. I would I would go so far as to say it's one of, you know, I, I, I'm one that likes to get excited about things and, you know, I'm not shy of a bit of uh, hyperbole, but it was probably <laughs> the greatest film I've ever seen in my life. And maybe probably really engaging for a four-year-old. It was, they wouldn't get the story, but the colours the, and... The just, yeah, the animation was just so fantastic. The um, How do you feel ruining Arlo for all kinds of I know, yeah, exactly. I, I, I think that he'll be okay. I yeah, think he'll get over it. You started him with the greatest animated yeah. film of all time. Yeah, and yeah. Works backwards from there. But um, I, I just can't talk about... It. I've, I've, been, I've been boring people stupid with just how much I loved it and how great it was. And... It's, it was interesting because I, I went into it. I, you'd 
definitely talked it up. Heaps of people who talked up to me, and mm. I knew I was in for something good. I love animation, and um, I'm a, I guess I'm a Spider-Man fan as far as it goes. I'm not hugely um, across a lot of the history, but I did know a couple of the, you know, I did know a couple of the alternate universes or the alternate comic franchises. I thought that was so clever the way that was all pulled together. Did you know Spider-Ham? I was a, I was a massive Spider-Ham fan <laughs> as a kid. I think I got into Spider-Ham before I got into Spider-Man. Really, that was probably my entry. Peter Porker. Yeah, I think I did the same. Um, John Mulaney's immaculate portrayal there in the so film. Good. Um, but yeah, so I just wanted to, um, I knew I would be short on this one. So I just wanted to short, you know, quickly say, yes, I liked it. It was very, very good. It was such a contrast from the, um, the live action films as well, but I still felt like it kind of belongs in there. It was just incredible. Did the, did the really, the best version of sort of actually bringing comic book storytelling ideas um, visual, visual storytelling ideas into a film just so well, I thought. Yeah, I rewatched it on a plane the other night. There you go. Still works. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Did yeah. you see it through to the final sequence? You might have to jog my memory. After the end of the credits. Well, maybe. Ah. My kid might have been yelling at me at that point. I'll find it on YouTube for you. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. Maria, what have you been watching? I have watched this series once and then I loved it so much I started it again <laughs> immediately after. And that is the Hana TV series Amazon Original based on the 2011 film of the same name, which was directed by Joe Wright, starred Saoirse Ronan, Eric Banner, Kate Blanchett, Tom Hollander, not to be confused with Tom Holland. Um, and the writer of that film created a TV series version, which I think is very smart because the world building in the movie is very rich and the world is very dense and there's a lot of great mythology that could be dived into, but the films, it's got a pretty tight runtime, you know, it's like a tight sort of 152 hours and the series is eight episodes and they're all about, you know, 50, 54 minutes or thereabouts. So they end up diving into this world of sort of teen girl assassins and Genetic enhancement and mutation um, really beautifully. I'm obsessed with the show. It's wow. incredible. Now, I think there'd be a lot of people who didn't see the movie when it came out. And because Amazon shows tend to fly pretty under the radar, mm-hmm. probably don't know Hana particularly well. Uh, what's the general gist of it? So, teenage girl assassin. Basically, this girl's been growing up in the woods with her dad, and he's been training her in a very sort of like survivalist uh, CrossFit, which is like the worst two words you would want to <laughs> team up together. The dad, father played by Joel Kinnaman. Joel Kinnaman, of course. The daughter is um, Esme Creed Miles, who is of uh, Samantha Morton's daughter. Oh wow! Anyone, yeah, in case yeah. anyone's familiar with her, she was, she was like the screaming psychic from Minority Report. Agatha. Yeah. <laughs> um. So she plays Hana and some stuff goes down and he's training her for this thing which is essentially um, sort of keep them on the run and get revenge on a shady CIA operative known as Marissa Vigla who's played by Joel Kinnaman's The Killing co-star Mariel Enos who's incredible and, and just a bit of trivia, our wife of Alan Rock. I mean, weird, right? <laughs> it's, it's odd. It's so it's it's such a wonderful world, but it's so funny <laughs> because Joel Kinnaman and Muriel Innes are so beloved as a duo from that Killing series. Mm. And in this, like, that's kind of one of the hooks is that you have the two of them, and it's sort of like it's parts of it are very Scandi noir, um, but it's a lot sort of grittier than the film. The film is like a sort of hyper realized version of a fairy tale. The Chemical Brothers do this incredible soundtrack, which I would argue maybe the soundtrack track from the films better known than the actual film itself mm. it's a it's a wonderful movie but it's very much um sort of Hansel and Gretel on crack and the <laughs> tv series is like a lot grittier but not in like a gray muted palette sort of Zack Snyder way it's really beautiful it's really violent it's really heartbreaking it's a coming of age story in a way 
It's just the best. Sounds I just fantastic. loved it so much. And Karen O from the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs does all the original music for it. So there's a bunch of really great songs in it, including this one called Anti Lullaby, which it is what it says. I was like listening to the song a few times. I'm like, Anti Lullaby, yeah. Because the whole song's about like, don't fall asleep um, in this. In, in the fur of this comfortable creature because as soon as you sleep, they'll eat you. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, but it's like, da, 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 da. <laughs> like a really nice lullaby tune, but like it's essentially, you know, stay woke or be eaten. Yeah, we were talking about the Bourne movies earlier mm. and visually this reminds me a lot of, there's a sequence in the first Bourne film, Bourne's, it wasn't Supremacy, uh, Bourne Identity. Uh, with Matt Damon sort of running through grass, yes. sort of in the sort of outside uh-huh. of like the sort of regional rural town. Visually, it's kind of reminded me a lot of that. Yeah, it is very similar <laughs> in terms, especially like even the locations, because it really yeah. it does it bounces all over the place. It's shot in it's shot in Hungary, Slovakia, Germany, Spain, the UK. There's a but it's set you know like in Russia and Germany and Amsterdam and everywhere. It's like a very like global show, and there's some incredible work by a bunch of female DOPs that like they sort of did them in blocks of like every few episodes. Um, that's just stunning. Like just the way they shoot people. There's just like so much care and thought that goes into every frame and tiny little Easter eggs and things and just Joel Kinnaman, man. It's so funny. <laughs> like I always thought he was wonderful when he, you know, came out of Sweden and started sort of like breaking into more say mainstream American sort of cinema with the killing and everything. I always thought he and was And also like, carbon, which yeah, a lot of well, have seen. I mean that's that's later stage. I'll get to yeah. that in a second. But with the killing, I was like, Yeah, hey, he's really wonderful. And it was sort of that Taylor Kitsch thing of like everyone liked him in Friday Night Lights, so they were like, Oh, let's make a movie star out of him. And so with Taylor Kitsch it was like Battleship and John Carter and a bunch of things sort of too Chris, have soon. you seen John Carter? No. Watch that with your kid. Really great. Oh, yeah. Underrated, really great. Um, and Joel Kinnaman, it was like Robocop and Suicide Squad and Run All Night and things like that. And I don't necessarily think that... I think he's a wonderful actor. I don't think he's a movie star. Those are two different things. And it was so great to see him with Altered Carbon. I thought he'd progressed sort of to that next stage of his career where he was doing really interesting, heavy-handed, like leading man character roles. And then... Hana is honestly the next step in that. He's so great. He's really, really wonderful. Everyone in the cast is great. You don't feel, it's testament to how good everyone is that you don't feel the absence of everyone. Because like, you think if you have a movie come out where it's got Saoirse Ronan, who's been nominated for like eight Oscars before she hit six, and you have, you know, Kate Blanchett, one of the greatest living actresses, and Eric Banner, who's incredible, as those three central characters, you think the whole time as you're watching the series, you would have been like, mm, Eric Banner was better, or oh, I liked it when oh, Kate yeah, Blanchett yeah, yeah, flossed her teeth until they bled. <laughs> but instead, everybody <laughs> is different and in a really great way, and they have more time to sort of add depth and add layers to these characters. Marissa Vigla in particular as what is sort of on the outside sort of supposed to be like a icy corporate villain is wonderfully complex in a way that you don't necessarily expect by the end of the series. Yeah, so I've only seen the first episode of this, but while I think it's maybe a little bit too decompressed for my taste, it's kind of bothering me. It's not really Hannah's fault. Like a mm-hmm. lot of shows at the moment are maybe a bit more decompressed than they should be. It's very watchable, I think. To be honest, I, yeah. if I, if you were going to watch, if you were like weren't sure if you'd do it all eight episodes, you're like, I'm going to give it a chance. I'd bang out episode one and two. That's episode about right. one is, ve- I mean, episode one has the best sort of like opening six minute sequence. Oh, it's phenomenal. That's so tense and you're just like, <laughs> oh, by the end of it, you're sweating and nervous and it's just like really stressful. But 
the rest of the episode is very much like set up and backstory and it's wonderfully done. But by episode two, things are moving and things are moving rapidly. Okay. And so that's, that's why I'd say like, if you, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in like one and done. If you don't like a thing, you don't like a thing. Yeah. No judgment. But with Hana, I do one and two for sure. Okay. So this is Hana. It's on Amazon Prime. Yes, it is. And that's Hana spelled H-A-N-N-A. Yeah. Uh, H-A-N-N-A. Yeah. It's just been mm. greenlit for the second season. So I don't know what the barometer of success is for Amazon. I mean, obviously Netflix famously don't release their stats and they'll randomly extend things and cancel things left and right. Amazon had Hana out into the world for like a week, maybe a week and a half. And then like, surprise, season two. So whatever that barometer for success was. Mm. Um, well, I think a lot of these shows, they tend to commission for two seasons at once and only really admit that once. Yeah. Yeah. Once it's actually going. Yeah. 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 Mm. But yeah, really good show. I think people should check that out. Dan, what yes, have you been watching? Yeah, what have you been watching? <laughs> okay, let's, let's wind things out. We talked about action adventure stuff. I'm going to talk about the most actionist, the most adventure show that we've got here. <laughs> It's a show called, wait for it, guys, My Husband Won't Fit. Okay, I'm looking at the looks of the people in the room. Okay, this is a Japanese TV show, which you can find streaming here on Netflix. Very salacious name. And the show is about exactly what you think it's about. Right. Okay. But it's actually this really sweet, charming comedy about... And it's not like a laugh-out-loud comedy. It's very much a character-driven show. Uh, there's a young woman. She has just moved to a big city for the first time. She's going to university. She hasn't really had much experience with a lot of people of whom are, you know, outside of her family and like close friends unit. She's out there by herself. She's a very sort of naive, very sort of quiet spoken person. Her next door neighbor, who's a fellow student, he sort of wanders into her life and just makes himself at home. And he's a very sort of brash person who takes a lot of personal liberties with the personal space and just sort of settles in her lounge room and, you know, becomes part of her life. Anyway, it turns out that he's actually really nice and she's really kind of sweet. The two of them hit it off and form this relationship. Okay, it's a really sweet, lovely couple of whom they reach a point after a few nights of knowing each other. They want to sleep together and things don't really fit because, you know... It's just how it's going. Wow. So you've got this, and it's just the first episode. But what you see over the course of the first season is them as like the years go on and the way that there's actually a barrier to them creating intimacy together as a couple. It's about the way that they can't actually procreate and have a kid. And it's about them coming to terms with the fact that they actually have this large physical barrier excuse the pun on that but they've got this physical barrier which is really stopping them from being able to act cohesively as the unit that they ideally would like to be and it's kind of nice and it's funny and it's surprising i talk about it being a really sweet show when you reach the last like 30 seconds at the end of the first episode you'll experience what's probably the filthiest joke i've ever seen on tv (laughs) okay but those are sort of far and few betweens by and large it's this really nice show which isn't really afraid to go into some very honest places it sounds like a new story at least which i'm very (laughs) i'm a big fan of that's actually the same thing like the same issue in real life that alfred kinsey had with his wife Wow. It's like a famous sort of, that was the basis of him sort of doing examinations and research into sex was because when, once they got married, they waited to have sex until they were married. They had issues because he was extremely large and wow, her husband did not fit. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's an actual problem that couples do experience. Yeah, absolutely. So when the show was out, I was like, "What is this?" Because I was in Japan watching it, <laughs> and I was wondering if it was playing what like outside hell? of Japan. What, what Marie Kondo <laughs> thing is this? She's like trying to organize the husband, fit him into a drawer. What's going on? But it gave them a lot of pleasure. Yeah. 
Anyway. Uh, Excellent. Uh, Yeah, so I didn't know much about it, but I started reading up on the show (laughs) and there were a lot of forums online of like health forums where people are talking about this as a regular issue in their lives. And they were saying the show is actually really sensitive to what goes on. they did an episode in Sex and the City about it as well. Oh, there you go. I mean, I've got all your pop culture references for dangerously endowed (laughs) situations. I presume the Mr. Big character was the... No. No. No, this was a Samantha subplot. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. It was big for different reasons. Yeah, that's right. And you can find that show on Netflix. Great. Cool. I will definitely be checking that out. It's well worth a look. Yeah, I think people of whom see this title will start watching the show going, this is not what I signed up for. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's not as bold and audacious as you think it might be. It's a very quiet comedy. Excellent. No, I look forward to uh, watching that as well. Yeah. Anyway, guys, this has always been watching. Uh, my name is Dan Barrow. I've been joined here, as always, by Christopher Yates. Thanks, and Dan. Joining us, <laughs> Yates. And joining us, Mazalos. Hey, thanks, Maz. Maz. Yeah. Cheers. It's been, it's been excellent. It's been me. excellent chatting to you. I could listen to your chat a lot more, and I look forward to reading and oh. listening to your things that you've had. Bless, bless now, your heart. Well, now, Maria, you're a busy lady. Uh-huh. You've got a lot going on. Uh-huh. Yeah, tell what us are we about plugging? Some stuff. Um, my latest book, The Witch Who Courted Death, is out at the moment. It came out in Halloween on Halloween last year, so it's my fourth book. They're all set. All the books are set in the same supernatural universe. So, Who's Afraid? Who's Afraid Two? And it came from the deep. And um, yeah, I'm writing re- weekly recaps of Game of Thrones at the moment for Junkie, and they go up every Monday after the latest episode. And you can check me out on Twitter. I'm at MovieMazMazz, or if you just search my name, Maria Lewis, you'll find me. And I write freelance stuff for a bunch of people. So depending on what your interests are, <laughs> if they go from mainstream like Game of Thrones or to very niche like Dick Witches and the Covenant, boy, <laughs> might I have some content for you. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. In my last job when I had a commissioning budget, I got Maria to write all sorts of crazy <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> Actually, it's so funny. I was just thinking about this the other day because I got mm. to write a really great piece, Dan, um, that was essentially, it was like in honor of the greatest like dick fight scene in cinema history. And it was all about Eastern Promises, the sort of like oh, yes, six yes, minute yes. Viggo Mortensen fighting dudes with his like dick just hanging out <laughs> while they're like going at him with liner knives. Oh, yeah, no, it was great. And I got to do a piece on Event Horizon. Ah, oh, so good. Excellent. Yeah. So good. I got you to write about Raw, which oh is this God. awesome French, uh, French cannibal, cannibal movie. It's like feminism and Buffy and Frenchness and eating people. Great. I mean, that's one of my favorite things about <laughs> SBS is they have that amazing back catalog of on-demand stuff where it's like you get to write a cool article about something that's completely not topical at all. Yeah, absolutely. But relevant for that one specific reason. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't work there anymore, so whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> You're lucky we're still friends with you, Dan, basically. <laughs> I chose to leave. Anyway, let's get out of here. Bye. This has been Always Be Watching. We'll be back next week. Our special thanks to 2SER for letting us record the podcast here and also to Vape Dads who provide our theme song. Thanks, Vapies. Uh, people can find us at alwaysbewatching.com. Thanks for listening.